0: Jesus, Messiah, Savior, Healer, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. Bread? hmm bread. Let's talk about that next. From Valley Bible Church in Hercules, this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Welcome to the program. Our series in John continues today. We're in chapter 6, verses 25 through 40 of John, looking at Jesus as the bread of life. That is an unusual reference to Jesus, but it's one packed with significance. Join us as we unpack that significance together here today on Truth For Today. Again, John chapter 6, with today's broadcast of Truth For Today, Pastor Phil Howard.
1: Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to uh, John 6. We uh, have two miracles that happen in the narrative. One, Christ feeds 5,000 men at one city, with a boy's few Loaves and few fish and uh, a miraculous thing uh, It's approximated that 20,000 people were fed the we only numbers the men here But if you included the wife and children, we don't know what number we probably have 20,000 people Being fed by Christ. It's recorded in all four Gospels. None of the writers forgot this miracle remarkable what he did after he did this miracle in the John narrative they wanted to make him king it's you can become the king of the people if you can feed them and so he fed them and they were totally thrilled with the physical provision and uh, they were just overwhelmed with this we're gonna make you king and uh, uh, he escaped he went to a mountain and he prayed Three of the gospels say. John doesn't mention that, but the other three gospels said he went to a mountain to pray. And while he was there, another miracle takes place. He looks out on the Sea of Galilee, and I don't know how far away the sea was, but he could see his disciples who have rode about three and a half miles going to the other side of the lake, and they're caught in a very frequent storm that the Sea of Galilee has. Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level, and the winds that come out of the east, out of the desert, often go and sweep over that lake, uh, removing the warm wind, bringing in cold, and it becomes tumultuous like that. Some of us, uh, years ago, went to Israel, and when we left, We were on the western side. We were going to the east. When we started out, it was as calm as could be. Uh, Nothing to it. Smooth. Kind of a boring water scene. There wasn't enough oxygen at that time. A lot of fish were dying. But as we made our way across, then you begin to see how a storm could come up easily. And that it's a good sized lake. And here we have these seasoned uh, fishermen three and a half miles out. Christ looks, he sees them, and he comes to their rescue. And he walks on the water. They think it's a ghost. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Your deliverance you may mistake for a ghost. You never know. And uh, Christ comes, he uh, bids Peter to come and walk on the water and he does that until he takes his eyes off of Jesus. Jesus finally gets on the boat, they land on the other side. After this, a bunch the next morning realize that the disciples have left, they've gone in one boat, and they run to the other side of the lake. Word must have gotten out the disciples are over there, and when they get there they see Christ and they say, how did you get there? He never answers. But we pick up the narrative. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do That we may see and believe you. Now remember, these people just got fed yesterday. Do something for me lately. What are you going to do for me now? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, and notice that, you don't call a loaf of bread a he. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven, and bread can't give its life. He's moved from physical bread to divine bread, which is a person, and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, i am the bread of life moving from being a bread maker to being the bread moving from physical to eternal whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst but i said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe all that the father gives me will come to me And I will raise him up on the last day. This is the sermon at the synagogue in Capernaum. Christ is preaching here. He's done the miracle yesterday. He did the miracle walking on the sea. But he picks up the bread incident. Because he's got a following based upon physical bread. And they still are clueless as to who he is. So he says, let me tell you something. I am the real bread that came from heaven. I did not come to start a bakery and I'm not in the bread business. I am the bread from heaven. There's three things, two by way of introduction really, and then we will look at what he means by this bread from heaven. The first thing that grabs me in the narrative, you can be following Jesus for the wrong reasons. Jesus knew how to get a crowd if you just keep taking care of their physical needs. And they were so moved by that, that they said, "Uh, we're going to make you a king. But Christ says to himself, if I made a king before the cross, nobody will get saved because I'm king. I've got to be the slain lamb to save. See, he knows how to be king. And he'll be king in time enough. He's king eternal. He's just never been a king over the house of Israel. But we needed someone besides a king. We needed a lamb. We needed a substitute. We needed a payment. And I think it makes me search my heart. Uh, Years uh, in being in church and preaching, sometimes I've seen people in church, that some people pop up at the most, hey, glad to see you. Uh, What are you? doing here or I've seen emotion during services and thought, boy, the Spirit of God was really dealing with them. Later I found out their boyfriend broke up. Just because you got a tear in church doesn't mean God's dealing with you. I don't know why you came. And I'm not saying, hey, you're welcome, we're glad you're here. I'm not trying to run anybody off, but why? Why do people follow Christ? Why do they show up? Why do they come to the church? I've been with people a lot of times, say, uh, what, kind, what kind of music do you have? Well, uh, I think it's pretty good. Well, it's got to be good if I'm going to come. And I think, well, where were you when we started this place? The man told me, one time, I'd come if you had a good youth group. I said, well, there's only 20 of us and we don't have any young people. Well, I'll come once you get it. Why do you follow Christ? And he said, you're only following me because you want me to do another miracle. You want me to do... Turn fish and bread into a meal to feed all of you. You're gonna just hang out with me daily so that you can get a free lunch. And he said, I'm not in that business. And at the end of this sermon, by the way, many turn back and follow him no more. They did not like this sermon. They said, If you're not gonna make our physical needs the priority of what you're about, we're out of here. And they walked away. And he asked Peter, Are you going to leave me also? And Peter had the right answer. So I think it's a curious thing for myself. I ask myself why some men are in the ministry. They're not saved. They don't preach the Bible. They don't love Christ. They don't love his people. They just got a vocation. I I just thank the Lord today that I happen to be a preacher. But the bonus is I'm also saved. I'd rather be saved than be a pastor. I'd rather know I'm going to heaven than to be a reverend. When I started this church, I said, don't anyone call me a reverend. I'm not to be revered. I want my God revered. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Just like you. Just like you. And, And if you think I'm a mess now, you should have seen him when he got me. And so a good question that he could get a following, but he wasn't impressed by a crowd. He, you know, he only wound up with 120 in the upper room after three and a half years of miracles, resurrections, feeding people, healing the blind, the deaf, casting out demons. You mean you only can get 120? Billy Graham can do better than you, Jesus. He can pack stadiums. You must not know how to lead people to God. I sometimes say that. I'm not a very good evangelist. I don't see many people get saved when I preach. I finally, the only thing that rescued me is the passage as we go along. It's really God's business to do the saving. I do the preaching. And he can even save you whether I know how to make an invitation or not. And cast the demon out of the mic. Second thing that I think hits us on the way is Christ said something that they totally misunderstood. He said to them, uh, do not labor, verse 27, for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father has set a seal. Now they latched on to what he said, but they only latched on to one word, work. He said, what I want to give you will be a gift. But you've latched onto the idea of it being a work. And they're saying, tell us what you want us to do. If we can work for it, we'll work. We'll show you we can do it. And one of the great mistakes people have, they think there's something they've got to do to be saved. They do have to do something. And listen to what he says. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent Putting your trust in Christ is the only work you'll ever be able to do that will save you. The work is trust another. Trust his work. How are you gonna get to heaven? Based on what your works are, are based upon Christ's work. A man was holding a tent revival in the Midwest, and uh, on the last day, they were breaking down the tent, and a man that had been attending the meetings Uh, every night uh, came up to him as the tent was being broken down and uh, uh, was panicky he said wait wait uh, sir you can't leave town Uh, you gotta tell me what to do to be saved and the evangelist had been preaching for weeks in that place he said there's nothing you can do and the man became panicky he said tell me what I must do he says there's nothing you can do He said, you've got to explain. He said, everything that had to be done for you to be saved was done. You only have to believe it. You've got to trust in it. You can't do anything to get to heaven. And that is so against the nature of man. We want to earn everything. Uh, Listen to these uh, examples. When Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, she said, what must I do to get this water? And Jesus said, it's too bad you don't realize I'm offering you a gift. And you want to take hold of a rope and see if you can get enough water out of this well. He said, I'm offering you a gift, drink. I'm not offering you some more religious works. Listen to what he says. He comes to the young rich ruler. And the man says to him, good master, what must I do to get eternal life? And he says, you've got to really believe me more than you believe in riches. But he, the emphasis was on, I want to do something. Yeah. He said, the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? The doing is believing, trusting another. And the great question in our lives is, who can you trust for eternity? Who can you trust your life to that when you take your final breath and you leave this life and we have the funeral and we go back and have the potluck, where will you be? Where will you be? Whom have you trusted? It certainly must not be the works you've done. I I, I just, I think for my own funeral, I just wanted to say a sinner saved by grace. Uh, you don't have to talk about how long i preach, preached, how long i pastored. Because all of that, uh, nothing in my hand do I cling to but this Christ. Christ is what saves, not what you do for him. Christ alone saves. We're saved by grace, unmerited favor, through faith. And this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And you know what? Most people will give up heaven. If they can't earn it, they won't ever receive it as a gift. Why is it that the majority of people during Christ's ministry and on the face of the earth now, do not ever put faith in Christ? It is a mystery. It baffles us. Well, he goes on now and he's going to uh, tell them that he's the true bread from heaven and But before he gets there, uh, he says in verse 30 through 33, uh, I'm greater than the bread that was offered in the wilderness. For when you eat that bread, you die. Most of those people may have missed heaven. Hebrews said they missed the rest of God. They ate bread. They were sustained physically. But the majority of those two million Jews at March died in unbelief. They they died not believing God. We don't even know if they'll be in heaven. But they had their physical needs met for 40 years. And so they're throwing up to Jesus. Hey, do some more miracles. Rabbinic tradition said when Messiah comes, he will give us bread from heaven just like Moses did. And so they're putting that messianic expectation. Where's the bread? Moses fed us for 40 years. Uh, two million of us. You only did it one day. 5,000 of us. Come on. Step up if you're Messiah. He said, wait a minute. Number one, Moses didn't provide the bread. Number two, those who ate it died and perished. That bread rotted within 24 hours. I'm talking about a different kind of bread. I'm talking about wonder loaf." out of the third heaven. I'm it. I'm talking about wonder bread. I won't rot, and I won't meet your needs for a day or a week, but for all eternity. And so then, they said, wow, if we can get some of this wonder loaf, where is it? He said, it's standing in front of you. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. In the Greek, it says, Whoever is coming to me shall never hunger. Matter of fact, it's a double negative in Greek, ume, shall absolutely never hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, does this mean physical food? Absolutely not. You, you can't be a Christian and not realize Christians eat all the time. <laughs> we, we call it food and fellowship. I was at David's group yesterday. The seniors are the best-fed group in this church. Go, go, go over to the senior occasions. They pig out. I mean, that's the, that's the ministry. Get away from the youth department. They're lean. Over here is where the food is. Play. Church folks like potlucks. They like to eat. You weren't talking about that. But are you aware that every one of us live with a Grand Canyon abyss in our hearts? That we hunger for meaning, purpose, mission, fulfillment. It's amazing how many things we try to fill the vacuum and they just don't work. You know when you're young you think, man if I had a hot car, maybe a Corvette, maybe a Mustang. If I can get that, no what I really need is a slick chick. If I had that chick on my arms I would be fulfilled. And about two days in the wedding, after the marriage, you say, did I marry the right person? I, I, I wonder if there's a better one out there that could do more for me. And you're saying, I've had Christians say, I wonder if it's the will of God. Well, it is now. <laughs> it is now, honey. Don't be praying. I wonder if he, he's got another blessing. The blessing's right there. Because I'm not sure. Well, wait, you said if you just had her, you'd be fulfilled. There's nothing in this life that will ever fulfill the deepest recesses of your heart. Because C.S. Lewis said it this way. If you feel you've got desires and uh, longings for things that this world has never been able to fulfill... He said, it might be a clue to you that you were made for another world. See, God made us, he wouldn't put hunger in you if there wasn't something such as food. He wouldn't put thirst built into us if there wasn't something called water, drink. Whatever the longing, relationship, I I want a companion, I I want children. Uh, You want these very, so that the desire gives you a hint that there's something to fill it but guess what being a human being is it's living with unmet desires until you come to a savior who says i will eliminate your hunger for deep meaning and i'll eliminate the thirst in the depth of your soul see it was the rich man in hell that was still thirsty and when jesus was on the cross he represented the cosmic thirst of a fallen race when he said i'm thirsty i am shut off from god i'm on this cross and i'm dying and i want to speak the word of hell and the word of humanity i'm thirsty for something right now that i can't have and that's fellowship with god and jesus is saying people I just fed you 24 hours ago, and you're hungry again. Let me introduce you to a bread that quenches thirst and hunger for the rest of your life and into eternity. I am the bread that gives you eternal life, and I guarantee you, you'll never hunger or thirst again
0: life forever in jesus christ that's the title of our series here in the book of john and we trust our time together today has encouraged you in christ as we work our way through this wonderful gospel it is our hope and prayer that chapter 20 and verse 31 will come to bear on your own heart and mind that you understand why john wrote what he wrote for the purpose of believing and having life eternal in christ To review a copy of today's program or to obtain the entire series, we would ask you to get in touch with us here at Truth For Today, and there are a couple of ways to do so. You can call us at 855-833-9864, or you can stop by our website, valleybible.org, and take advantage of the resource materials that we have posted there as well. You're also welcome to write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue. Suite 278, Hercules, California, the zip code 94547. And as always, your gifts make a great difference here at the ministry. No matter how large or how small, your financial contributions to this ministry allow us to continue presenting the gospel here on KFAX. As a TFT sustainer, we would also like to pass along your way a quarterly newsletter, along with our once-a-year special gift and access to Take a Break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional that we have. Again, these are all just simple ways of saying thank you for supporting us financially, realizing that this broadcast is presented daily here on KFAX through your financial involvement as well as your prayerful support. One other note, as we close out our time together today, we would like to invite you to join us for worship here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules. You can find out all of the details and directions at our website, valleybible.org. That's valleybible.org. We thank you for spending time with us today. As always, it is a pleasure to share God's Word with you. And we look forward to the next time when we can do it again, here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.